And at that point, we just slowly started building the portfolio with different artists, and we really wanted to go for a high-quality vibe um, and a painterly aesthetic to show off our world. Yeah, and the two main things that kind of inspired our overall art direction and style is Numenera by Monty Cook Games uh, and yes. Guild Wars 2 by ArenaNet. Yes! Well-met adventurers, my name is Lee. I'm Joe, and welcome to Mage Productions. We could be like, this is Mage Productions with Nuanen Chronicles, co-creators Jason and Brooke, now talking about their game. We're totally just going to use that <laughs> as the introduction. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. You should just start that doing is voice exactly what no, it's going to be. I've actually been talking to some of my friends that do Twitch streams, and they just want me to like introduce their like streams There's as that niche. voice. There's your niche. One of them there wants me is. to do um, Mark Hamill's Joker voice. So there's your niche. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. cool! But can you do the Joker voice? Uh, that's what I was just about to ask. Can you? Hello, bats. <laughs> that's great. Welcome to that's Mage great. Productions. <laughs> <laughs> this is all going up in the episode, by the way. Oh, this is all the okay. okay yeah. All right. yeah, we started recording, oh, yeah. so it's going in. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's but how no. it is. <laughs> I'm a decent voice actor. V. It's you, good. You're an it's good. Voice actor. Mm. Now I got to fight all the other people that are auditioning. <laughs> it's very, so, it's very competitive, actually. So, oh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh yeah. But now that we've been properly introduced. To Jason and Brooke with their new Kickstarter. Um, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having Hi. us. Of course. Thank you for, you know, super duper last minute just like hopping on and talking with us. Tonight. Of course. Mm-hmm. I think I yeah. think that just takes all the stress and anxiety out of it. You're just like, okay, let's do this. Uh, no, no, it's it's still <laughs> it's still up here. <laughs> it's just not hiding like, from the. Uh, you know, sure. I'm just really hyped up on Kickstarter marketing, so I'm, I'm 110 percent go go go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of, why don't you guys tell us about what it is you have going on on Kickstarter right now with your new campaign setting and game? So we have a brand new tabletop RPG that we've been working on for six years together, uh, the New Autumn Chronicles RPG. and um we're very excited about it it's uh we call it an electro fantasy tabletop rpg Mm. um it's this post post post-apocalyptic game where uh society was like destroyed by a cataclysm they rebuilt but there's magic there's like new technology in the world um like 25 percent of the map is maybe explored so there's a lot of adventure seeds that we have planned um, for characters to go and explore. Um, and also part of that is we're creating living storylines for the mm-hmm. game. So overall choices and outcomes that players submit in official surveys will affect the world going forward and the lore. So how we are approaching kind of like the living story is that when we released official playtest or campaign modules uh, from us, uh, we attach along with it, as she said, surveys of the major plot points and outcomes within that particular module. Whether they do this or do A, B, or C, then we ca- uh, compile all the data from it and the majority outcome becomes canonized. Yeah. And, and so what, what we plan on doing is that when we release, like, say, 
the next setting uh but because right now the first lore book because we have both the lore book and the rule book up on kickstarter um the second lore book is going to be in another country where we advance the timeline of the world by four or five years and it will highlight the difference in the world that happened uh in that so there could be like when you're in oldress which is in the first lore book it could be oh, this is all hunky-dory and they're all like one nation. And then you go into later on, it's like, oh, it's uh, it, the nation doesn't exist anymore. You know, like <laughs> that type of deal. So, so uh, but we do <laughs> want to kind of involve players that are very invested into our game, kind of like a way to reward them and showcasing that the game is not, quote, like forever medieval type of deal. And mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. we have a, uh, a living storyline as part of our Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um the blood, blood of the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, they can download it on our Kickstarter page and play through it. There are four pre-generated characters. There's a one-shot adventure, mm-hmm. and they can submit their results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a it's a quick start guide, even though it's about <laughs> 102 pages with condensed rules. So, <laughs> so no, the, the quick start guide uh, is definitely a good look of how our game plays. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of our rule sets in there. Um, the big thing that is not including in the, included in there is the character customization or character creation mm-hmm. because that is a huge chapter on its own because we do not have levels in our game. We have mm. backgrounds, which is kind of like a jumping off point of where your character started. So you have some sort of minor benefits, but how you grow your character is how you want to play your character. So if you start off as magic and you're like, man, tech sounds really cool. But I'm going to have my character start investing into tech or vice versa or neither. Um, And so it really gives players the open option of building the character as their own. So and and on top of that, it's more of an ad hoc EXP type system where you gain XP and then you spend it to gain increases on your stats, skills, talents, whatever, to make your character better in certain areas. And so this allows a lot more control for you as a player to control how you want your character to grow. And so with that, we don't even have levels in our game because there's no point. You don't gain anything per level. You have a a threat rating or a threat, and that's mostly just kind of a gauge for the GM to balance out encounters than anything else. But um, we've done uh, have a playtest group. We have several of them that uh, we've run for like a year, year and a half for our game. And they've been through so many iterations of rules, too. So I'm surprised they're still sticking with us Um, (laughs) um, where I have a new player come in. They make a brand new character. No additional experience points, because most games you want to try to level them up to that area so they don't get squashed or destroyed or anything like that. That when they play these characters, I don't give them any extra XP and they were able to play the game and contribute to the overall party without being a detriment. So it allows for a lot of pop-in and pop-out play uh, for a bunch of players. Uh, So you can actually have a good, cohesive story where you're in a mercenary guild. It's like, "Mm, we need that extra help. I got a friend that can join. All right, he's coming in at level one, you know, that type of deal. And it still works out. You can still benefit from that. That's that's really cool. That's super cool. That's really interesting. It it reminds me of a a few different systems kind of outside of like the D&D Pathfinder D20 world um, where it's much more background based than actually like level based. And I, I think that's it. I think that leads to a lot more opportunities for players to really hone in on what they want to do. Mm Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's this, it, way more customization, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. 
we were we were really inspired initially. This was all started out as a homebrew mm-hmm. for um, Warhammer 40K's Dark Heresy First Edition, um, and that's where you kind of had the, a little bit of the backgrounds and an XP game, but. Um, we really liked the D100 role, and we kept changing the rules and changing the rules. And then at some point, we were like, you know what? It's getting so different now that it's no longer the same game. And let's just make our own game. <laughs> yeah, uh, even with um, Dark Heresy, they still had uh, slotted roles for your character. Like if you're going with this background, you have to stick with this bra- background. And these are the skills you can get. Uh, even with the second edition, even though you can venture out from your background, it's largely still guided in a way that you have to build in a certain way. Otherwise, your XP multiplier and buying something is enormous. But I think it's a, um, probably should mention it's a D, we use a D100 system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a modified D100 yeah. system. So, you should probably explain that. <laughs> so, um, so the, the D100 system that, uh, as she said, from the homebrew of Dark Heresy, uh, a lot of D100 system that uses degrees of success and failures, um, they operate more on a pass-fail system where your bonuses and penalties are applied on your roll, uh, where you have, say, a 32 to pass a test and your bonus is 40, uh, 40 and so you have to roll a 72 or lower. If you go under that, you succeed the action. If you go over that, you fail the action. However, the problem I saw with that is that when we were playing Dark Heresy, I've had characters frequently get post 100 stat rolls where it's like, well, on a D 100, they have to beat 127. <laughs> it's like, a little ridiculous. So they, they never fail. Like it's not so much that this, the, the never failing part bothered me. It just seems very heavily one sided in one or the other. And so it's a mm. lot of bonuses and penalties in that range where uh, even though our rule sets is, we are a, 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 a rules-heavy game because having a customized system, you're pretty much in that route. We're a little crunchy. Uh, but <laughs> how I changed it is that I actually incorporated what I liked about the D20 system, which is the skill ranks. So you already have your set ranks within like certain skills or stats and things like that. Whereas now... The degree of successes and uh, and failures apply to those ranks rather than whether you succeed or not on a die roll. So, and if you have bonuses or penalties, it modifies that end result. So what that does is it makes it weighted. So even if you are really good at something, you're not going to be hindered by a terrible roll because you're supposed to be good at something. You know, like if you're a master swordsman versus a person who's never picked up a weapon before, theoretically you should not fail that but there's still that very small chance of it happening but it's never just a pass fail it's more of like my sr the our success ranks uh is higher than yours so more than likely i'm going to beat you in this combat and so that's how we kind of approach it so if players do make a specialized character they're going to be good at it until they go up against a task that might be just as difficult or more difficult and that's how I kind of graded the the difficulty rating for our game. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I've I've mm-hmm. played in some of the the Warhammer stuff, so I understand kind of where you're coming from from that side. <laughs> um, and and kind of the the rule tweaks that you were 
kind of alluding to and kind of making it your own. I, I think that's that's an absolutely great idea, and that's really the perfect way to make a system. Yeah, and that's six years of uh, trial and error. <laughs> and I think the way our system, the way our system is, where uh, you you roll and then you add on your degrees of success or failure to your success rank, it makes combat um, really uh, a little bit more interesting and uh, exciting and uncertain because we have active defense in our game. So you roll and the per the target or person who's about to get attacked will say, oh, I want to defend with my shield or I want to parry. And you both roll at the same time and calculate your SRs. And whoever has the highest SR, they're the ones who succeed against uh, during the attack. Yeah, attackers mm. have to meet or beat the target roll number or the target number to succeed. So um, it goes to some insane. We've had uh, maybe one or two instances since we started the playtest because defenders now can crit because if the attackers crit, you double the SR value, which in the difficulty degree scaling, that means you're going to overcome a lot of defensive measures. It's almost impossible to defend against. Uh, but you still can. Mm -hmm. And so we actually had maybe two or three instances where the defender critted as well. And so we we're just like, this is like the perfect attack, got the perfect defense. And, you know, so you, then you <laughs> want to find out that like who has the edge in your SR because now you're in like the 20s or the high teens, you know, for ridiculous to, numbers. And, and so because if you crit in our game, it just maximizes damage mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and our our hp as we don't have levels our hp is relatively static so there's very few ways to increase increase health armor, which means armor is important yeah wear, wear your armor wear right your helmet uh -huh. <laughs> she's lost two characters so far i have had two characters die <laughs> one she oh, didn't no. have a helmet because we have locational damage in our game. Yeah. Uh, she didn't have a helmet. I'm like, these people are smart enough that you don't have a helmet. They're going to hit you in the head. And yeah, she didn't. <laughs> two rounds gone. <laughs> Just two rounds. So, and so, so yeah, with the, the low level of HP and locational damage and mitigations and the fact that you have X number of defenses per round, you have to be really careful on who you engage. Because if you go up against a team that has more people than you, you're not going to have enough defenses to actually negate all the attacks or most of the attacks. And so that's mm -hmm. what happened with her group, the la hmm. latest one. They've lost two people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, they just didn't, they didn't do something uh, it was smart. What well, was five unarmed, unarmored people going yeah. up against eight, eight armed, Marines. armed Marines in the middle of the night? Yeah, it wasn't, they weren't smart. No. We, I wouldn't make it either. We so, won. No. They, 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 yeah, they won. They lost two people. <laughs> but no, so, and yeah, and with, uh, with our combat to the attackers or the player's turn gets action points. So I know PF2 just came out and they have kind of a three action point pool or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, right. Our action point pool actually averages for human characters uh, 12. Yeah. And so the range of it is because different weights of weapons or encumbrance of weapons dictate how much action points it has. So, but the damage scales depending on the, the quality of the weapon, the traded of the weapon. And so you can have a lot of different avenues of, oh, I'm going to go with the quick dagger ones so I can get more attacks in and bleed through people's defenses to open up mm -hmm. for my guy with the two-handed great hammer and swing away, you know, that type of deal. Because... Um, for, for instance, um, the daggers do 1d5 damage, but if it goes up against 
you know, someone that doesn't have a defense, it goes to 1d10 damage. So now you can have that kind of inherent backstab mm. rule, you know, to attack someone that can't defend themselves. But if they believe through reactions, here comes a, almost a guaranteed hit by a 2d10 weapon against a target that has an average of 26 health. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, gnarly. it's not it's not pretty. And, and they go flying. You could enchant that weapon or modify it with tech upgrades mm-hmm. like an Inferno module or Sonic module or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then that creates more effects that could happen. And I think one of the best things that we've added in to our combat, and this was kind of our third year into playtesting when we were at Gen Con um, four years ago, I think. Uh, we added in something called power hits into our combat where if you pass a certain threshold, regardless if it's mitigated or not, it does an extra narrative effect. So if you hit the legs, they get knocked to the ground. If you hit them in the torso, they get pushed back, hit them in the arm. If it's one handed, they get a chance to lose their weapon. They get disarmed. You hit them in the head, it disorients them. So to being disoriented actually makes it so the target only has half AP their next round. And in a system that is built on AP, (laughs) for them to lose half of it is very dangerous. Uh, But so I've seen it before where the Great Hammer has a knockback two trait, which knocks him back 10 feet. Power hit torso does another five feet. So it sends people flying 15 feet. And that's on hit. Those those the 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 knockback two is on hit. So even if you don't do damage or power hit, you still can move people by ten feet because there's no save against it. I'm sorry, you're gonna get hit by a great hammer. <laughs> Your armor's gonna be good. Mass is like there's still like physics involved here, you know. And oh, so yeah, totally. strategic yeah. gameplay and things like that really plays a role in our game and how you uh, overcome obstacles in combat. Mm-hmm. So you can see he's put a lot of thought into so much balancing thought. and So much thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about magic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, this, this system sounds awesome. It does. Um, I was looking at a lot of the art and things that you had for the world on, on the Kickstarter yeah. and, and the website and whatnot, and this world looks amazing. Can you tell me some about that? Okay. So... Um, I handle a lot of the lore and the art. Uh, the she art is direction. Okay. Yeah, she is de facto art director. That's one of her hats. Yeah. Um, um, never enough art, hats by the way. Never because uh, it looks amazing. Um, the first art we ever commissioned was the character art. Mm-hmm. All of our iconics. Uh, it, uh, everything up until this point has been self-funded. Like all the art, all the logos, the trailer, like everything. That's, yeah, this that's right here. Us. Yeah, that's that's all <laughs> um, our own. It's not it's not cheap. We, had, we, had, uh, <laughs> we were inspired kind of by Pathfinder has their iconic characters, <laughs> so we're like, okay, let's do iconic characters for us, and we'll do uh, male and female from each nation, mm-hmm. the six different nations, and and show off what their culture looks like and who they are. Mm-hmm. At the very minimum, we will have that to show people. Um, and at that point, we just slowly started building the portfolio with different artists, and we really wanted to go for a high-quality vibe um, and a painterly aesthetic to show off our world. Yeah, and the two main things that kind of inspired our overall art direction and style is Numenera by Monty Cook Games uh, and yes. Guild Wars 2 by ArenaNet. That yes. painterly-esque feel of the artwork. So that type of quality and that type of... Um, uh, exposure to the world and of how good the art can be is what we wanted to mimic. And that's one of our cats. Uh. Yeah, you'll hear a cat. <laughs> I'm surprised mine's not over here, like, yelling, too. So, you know. Hi. 
I love cats. Cats are the best. <laughs> Don't make her step on the power button. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a quick interview. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hi, kitty. So that's Tali. Um, that, uh, our cats are named Tali and Liara um, because she's a big Mass Effect fan. I love Mass Effect. So Yes. Uh, we were really yes. inspired by the living storylines from, from Bioware mm-hmm. and, Early Gu- Bioware. and Guild Wars 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We don't talk about but, what has happened so, recently. <laughs> yeah, so the, art, um, the art's been really big for us. Mm-hmm. We actually have two pieces we're working on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really excited to unveil those. I don't know, maybe by the end of Kickstarter, give Ho- sneak peeks. Uh, we might be able to push out on our Twitter, uh, maybe sneak peeks of sketches. Yeah. I know the finals are not going to be done by the end of Kickstarter. Um, it's just the, the time, the turnaround for a lot of our artwork is like a month and a half. So, um, and we have, we work with like eight different artists. If we can, Obviously, the funding for the, which is why like our first stretch goal is like, hey, more artwork, you know, like yeah. You know, so, yeah. we we have a lot of art that's not even shown mm. uh, on the Kickstarter page or even in the Quick Start Guide. So we've managed to build up a decent portfolio because I was I remember looking through the the uh, just any tabletop RPG book, like when we finally decided we were going to make this, and it suddenly hit me how much work goes into these things oh there's a ton of work and how much art is in there you just don't even think about it and so i was like counting it's like every one every three to four pages there's like just this unique big art piece that's there Mm -hmm. and so i was like dang Mm -hmm. if we're gonna do this uh we need to get started (laughs) so yeah uh, one of the things that uh i try to instill because it's um because you know it's it's good that you can get all these different artists and they're all very talented every single one of them we worked with i mean it it shows in the on our kickstarter page on our website of what they've done for us so far um one of the things that uh i'm trying to uh, i try to keep track with is making sure whoever works in a certain style uh, or a type of piece maintains their projects in that theme. So if you do character art, he's gonna be primarily doing character art or illustrations with characters in it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like all of our character art, you've seen pictures of Svedra and Asheyu, the tinkerer and uh, the imbuer, the magic person. Um, He did both of those pieces and they're gorgeous because you can see that level of detail in those characters too on the print. Whereas all of our landscape art comes from Leon Tucker. Uh, character art is done by Gerald Singh in his studio, 1010 Studios. Um, now, Leon Tucker, he's actually done pieces for Pathfinder and Starfinder. And I believe he'd done a few things for PF2 as well. Um, but he, he he does all of our cityscape. Oh, but um, we actually haven't shown anything of Leon's in the Kickstarter. We've actually shown a lot of it as Astrid. And her stuff. Mm-hmm. Astrid does a lot of our uh, environmental pieces. So if you see like uh, the one with the almost sort of like red, uh, uh, red riding hood in the woods type of deal picture at the end of the trailer, um, she's mm-hmm. done that and the storm leviathan art piece. So she's done a lot of our grand like creature and illustration arts. And yes, stuff if like you that. see any like uh, creatures, uh, especially like the fae, mm-hmm. like we have the lava behemoth mm-hmm. on there. Like she did, she's done all of our fae, mm-hmm. and they're they're absolutely gorgeous. And uh, now uh, some of our more darker creatures uh, is done by um, uh, Oriana. Yeah, Oriana. Mm-hmm. She's done some stuff. And yeah, so and then the golem picture, the golem fight picture is done by Javier. So Javier, Javier Charles. Javier. So, mm-hmm. so no, and you know she vets all of them, vets every single one of them. So it's like, 
Uh. I found the best the best way to find artists. I tried DeviantArt and like no one responds to their stuff. <laughs> so no. what, um, the best place I found is ArtStation. ArtStation. Mm-hmm. Usually, sometimes cool. I'll find people through Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, any, actually, ha- any like art hashtags that are trending, mm-hmm. I, I skim through those and follow people. Yeah, the, there's a lot of art hashtags that we do follow, like you know, artists and uh, art, artists versus art type of deal. Like you know. uh, Inktober is going on right now, so that's a good way to find mm-hmm. people. Uh, speaking yeah. of that, uh, we uh, it's a good segue to because we actually create, we actually hire people to create conlangs for our world. So, uh, for those who don't know, it's a construction, uh, constructive language creation. So we have legitimate like a, languages made for our game. Like, uh, it's kind of, you know, for, for those like Klingon, yeah, or Klingon, High Valerian, Dothraki and, and all that stuff. stuff. Yeah. So we've had, we've hired people to make the language in our game. Cool. So this symbol right, awesome. here, right here is from a conlang <laughs> and it means it says Nuata in the magic script. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, so Marathi <laughs> yes. is the primary language, the trade language in the world. Uh, the uh, our conlanger is actually doing Inktober, and he's creating a word every day for us in that language for us to use. And he's doing, and he created like the like the the vocal scripts and the font and everything he got really deep he got really deep into it we're like like, here we're gonna we only want this base base package and he just built us all the language so it's like um so (laughs) we've retweeted some of his stuff already Mm -hmm. on our our, Uh, twitter uh, Twitter profile we'll be retweeting a lot of his inktober stuff just because um one it just looks really cool (laughs) (laughs) but uh we have another language uh zuranian which is the lamarian languages uh, and it's actually influenced by circuit grids. So it's written top down where you have lines that connect to each other with uh, little dots and symbols between each one to represent vowels within consonants. Yeah. So, so they, it does look like almost a line huh. of a circuit, but it actually says something. And it's part of like because the because um, of the cataclysm and everything. So they had all this old tech left uh-huh. over, and eventually. They they knew it meant something and it did something, but they couldn't quite remember what it did. Mm-hmm. So and the Lamarians are very much tech focused, tech centric like society. So they've incorporated that as part of their language. So uh, Kuara, um, she's one of our iconic. She actually has, you know, a circuit tattoo like on her head. One, it's kind of fu- like sacred geometry. Yeah. So the so the funny thing is, is that we made the language afterwards. And I'm like, oh no, what does that mean now? Like, you, know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you get that Chinese tattoo and just like this means flowers. Like, no, it really means you know uh, something else. Fried like, chicken. <laughs> like fried chicken. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. So um, we still plan on hiring more conlingers because we do want the world, even though it's a human centric centric game, we no. want. Don't give everything away. All right. Um, but, oh, uh, spoilers. We want uh, to showcase the, the diversity of the world, the different cultures, because it's not, you know, Eurocentric or anything like that. We do have a lot of uh, themes and uh, culture and so- uh, sociology and, you know, all these different types of influences that we want in different nations. And language is a big part of that. And so we want to showcase that. So we have uh, Kalish that needs to be made, Kongali. Um, what else is there? Gahan. Gahan. I think that's it. Those are the last three, right? 
For now. For now, yeah, because we got a lot more <laughs> stuff that's happening. But yeah, so we want to get those done, uh, and we can't wait to see, you know, how they work because we want to make sure that each con we hire a new conlanger for each language, and the reason for that is so they don't get like a biased influence from what they created in another country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even though that, that could, there is some bleed over effect because, you know, trade and globalism in the world and all that stuff that you're going to have that. But we do have uh, almost like kind of a Tengaran slang that would be one of them. So. So that's kind of one of the plans right now. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That is really, really cool. Can you see yeah. we're really invested in this? <laughs> yeah, I can. kind of. Well, and kind of like even from the beginning, like you could just feel the passion from both of you on this entire project. And I, I think that that really says a lot for what you're doing. And it's it's amazing. And it shows. Um, I went through kind of your website and went through the uh, Kickstarter page that you have. And kind of like Joe was talking about, like the art is top notch. It is absolutely beautiful. All your characters are very well thought out and they all look like they belong there. And well, I, mm, I've seen some art for some things and it's been like, this character's great, but like, mm-hmm. should they really be where they are? But- oh, so, um, so speaking of that, to, to kind of like highlight two major things in our game, you know, tech and magic, you can have them separate. You can have them together. But uh, one of the things we found missing with some of our characters, we actually don't combine the two. Mm. So our latest commission is to have a character that is a tech gunslinger that uses magic to enchant the bullets and barrier while being under fire. So we've it's just commissioned. Be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Joe and I are both like, this oh, is right up our alley. Be still, this my beating heart. So, so we're looking wanted. at. So we got a new artist. Uh, she has a good profile um, of because she did make a character. That's kind of what drew me to her is that she did make a character that had a mixture of science and fantasy as one character. And I'm like, okay, pretty much the stylistic choices we like are close to. We we got we got something for you. Let's let's get this done. Oh, so no, we haven't talked about how magic works. No, we have not. Lower person. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to hear how magic works? <laughs> yes. How does magic work? So magic is, is it just magic? Is um we also have a language for that. It's word based. Cause I remember when we were making our system, we were like, oh, we want to do something different, we want to do something unique. Our game's all about customization. Hmm. Um, how, how do we do this? So we're like, okay, it's word-based. Mm. So you have your different types of words that you combine together and they create different effects. So we divide them into delivery words, uh, effect words, and then you have meta words, which can change what those delivery and effect words do. So let's say you want to heal someone. Like this is one of the few ways you can actually heal a person without it taking a while. Um, so you can do touch of heal and say the words for that spell. Um, and there's variety, like you have to like train yourself to say the word exactly right. And um, you touch the person and it'll heal them. It'll also- I'm them, healed. It'll give them stamina damage, but it'll heal them. <laughs> oh wait, I'm tired now. <laughs> well, uh, the re- so-, so what that does is it gives players a lot of control over what kind of magic they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you can create some really interesting combinations. Like if you combine light and dark, you could give yourself night vision, for example. 
Um, or invisibility. <laughs> or invisibility. You know, so the combos are kind of up to you, you know, um, and the GM. One of the downsides, though, is magic can be very powerful, especially as you get to, like, more experience points invested into it. So we have what's called flux. And it's kind of like wild magic. As you cast spells, they have a flux cost. And the flux will build within you until reality wants to snap back. Because you're creating something from nothing. It doesn't like it. So at a certain point, after you build so much flux, you roll, and the difference between your roll and the amount that you have, you then look on a flux effect chart and you see what happens. So you could start, it could suddenly start snowing mm-hmm. in like a 50 square foot area, or um, it could start an earthquake or something like that. Or it can summon a demon, maybe. <laughs> um, yes. But, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so one of the things that I really wanted to showcase is because... Um, we're both very big narrative players. We like having a lot of backstories in our characters when we play other tabletop RPGs and everything. And so one of the things, even though it is, you know, rules heavy, we wanted to make sure that the story influences the mechanics, not the other way around. So this way, like, um, you know, as much as we like the D20 system in D&D 5e, um, because we do play it almost every week. You no, know, still like the game. Um, spells, <laughs> slots, and things like that is a big bother to me, because it's like, oh yeah, just like I gotta rest eight hours. You know, you know, I gotta rest like you know eight hours before I can spell slots back. And it's like, why can't I just keep casting until like converted to like a stamina pool or something like that? But um, because to me it makes no narrative sense to have spell slots. It, I haven't yet defined why that is. Maybe it's somewhere deep hidden into you know lore somewhere but so basically in our system you can cast as as much as you want you just have to be prepared to suffer the consequences um and potentially being socially shunned because of that (laughs) and this gives rise narratively why Mm. the world focused on tech development because as dangerous magic is everybody can do it everybody can do magic as long as you can speak yeah you you can can do magic. magic So because of how dangerous it is, people are looking toward tech as an, a safer medium of delivering fire or some sorts like and that. Plus the, um, before, before the cataclysm happened, there was a very advanced human empire mm-hmm. that was destroyed. So they have some generational memory. Like um, and anecdotal some, knowledge. Right, yeah, and stuff some like. recollection that there were all these things in the past. They're not sure how they got them to work, but they know it's possible. So they know that they can work towards that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is why, you know, we, we justify magic and tech advancing equally, you know. And, and mm-hmm. it gives a lot of type of um, intrigue, too, because we have a society that li- likes to be able to teach people how to control the magic. And we have a society that just thinks it's absolutely evil and everybody that uses it should be put to the sword type of deal. So... And so (laughs) that's kind of where we're at in our game right now because you have clashing ideologies too. So, Wow. Wow. There's a lot of thought in this. (laughs) Yeah. Everything in our game uh, is... Has a reason for being there. At least, you know, we we try and make every sure that everything has a reason, um, even maybe some slight scientific reason for why. Uh, How do airships work? We math that out. <laughs> they did. A bunch of my friends like did like, we like lost, fission we lost physics data. and things like that. Unfortunately, he spent four hours like doing the the 
physics calculations on, you know, power to weight ratio for the energy cells and battery cells and stuff that that is in our game. And he's like, it can work. It generates like 1.2 lifts for one power. So you have almost a perpetual engine. So like because they they have the wow. most, um, there's flux crystals and that you can enchant them or imbue spells in them to use later to store as magic items or they're broke down and used for industry to power things. They're they're like our one MacGuffin in the game, right? But they're consistent and they have a reason for what they do. Yeah. So like just for like a little bit of explanation is that if you um, put flux crystals and stuff inside water and mix it up, it actually decreases the boiling point of water, which means it takes less power to create steam. And then mm-hmm. that way you can end up getting more power generation for less amount of power. So you can so. have steam guns and all that fun stuff. But yeah, oh. so we were calling it <laughs> yes. electro fantasy earlier. Yeah. It's because even though we do have steam tech and steam is used for uh, projectile weaponry, um, it's largely just made for power generation because they've had battery tech for almost 300 years. So they were able to uniform it and actually make it replaceable. So when people need to recharge their cells or replace it with something that's there, they just need to pay the cost to just kind of re, uh, re, re-equip themselves with something. And so a lot of tech weapons have their own built-in power, power block to use the tech modules and things like that. But you can definitely not have to go that route because... Obviously, with more tech, you have more areas of it being weaker than traditional equipment. So traditional equipment is going to be a lot more stronger. You just don't have that vast amount of utility for your character. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it gives another avenue of play for a character. So one of the illustrate the other illustration we have working on is going to highlight kind of like four ways or one of the, like four of kind of the ways that you can play your character. So we have kind of like the traditionalist, the tech person, the magic person, the range person. So. Cool. <laughs> That's Any other real questions? Cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so many, so many. But I, I, I think that's amazing. This this whole world and the whole system just sounds like you guys said. Like you really thought all of this out. You it yeah it sounds and feels like something that has been in development for you know six years. Like you hope it pays off, but I mean, the Kickstarter is looking like it is right now. So (laughs) it does. It does. Yeah. So if people are interested in hearing more about the world, seeing the Kickstarter, um, talking to you two, how can they find this information and how can people get in touch? Okay. Um, So there's a bunch of different ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, Main place uh, is our website. Uh, it's at brokendice.net. Dot net's important. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're still working on the dot com. <laughs> that punk. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's also a Kickstarter page. You just go to Kickstarter, search uh, the Nuwadin Chronicles mm-hmm. RPG. will pop right up. Um, we also have a Twitter account at broken underscore dice. Uh, there's a Facebook page uh, at Broken Dice LLC, mm-hmm. and then our Instagram page is at New Wadden Chronicles. So we're we're all over the place. Um, if you if people want to email us, then you can email social at brokendice.net, and that goes to both of our emails. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very yeah, cool. Awesome. We're excited to showcase this world, though. It's there's a lot of stuff we have planned that's not 
like being able to be in the initial release like there's so much mm-hmm. of the world we want to show but you know we've got to take it one step at a time right now <laughs> yeah for real definitely. and when does the kickstarter end it's October 25th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the in the uh, morning of October 25th is when it ends. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So everybody needs to get on that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, on top of that, left. we plan on working also with Backerkick uh, to uh, continue if those that are interested in picking up the the books uh, after the campaign ends. Cool. So we nice. should have that up and running. I still have to set everything up, but that's the plan right now. So. <laughs> I don't know if this will change by the time this airs, but right now it says we, we're not doing international shipping. Yeah. We're looking into it. Um, hopefully by the time this airs, we we'll will have it we'll have figured that out and updated it to open it up to international backers to have physical awesome. copies of the book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sweet. So cool. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. Mm, thank you for having us. I, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about this. This is, this yeah. is awesome fairly blown away yeah for real. <laughs> oh, we will be at gen con next year though too and momocon and um, possibly dragon con as well and nice. pax unplugged cool. probably i think i would love I'll to be go at PAX. to pax i'm actually planning He's on going go. to pax uh, this year we're not gonna officially oh. i'm just like, scouting so <laughs> but no if you want to get together and he could like teach you the game and everything mm-hmm. he can do that yeah man mm-hmm. let's play yeah. also mm, we'll talk about this after the episode but that's sub to all that. Uh, anything else before we go? <laughs> um, no, I can't think of anything right now. Cool. Oh. There's these cool magic monsters called Faye. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we can't end the interview now. You just enticed them. <laughs> I think no, that's the that's, perfect that's spot That's the to end. end. That is the end. If you would like to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at mage underscore podcast or check out our website, mageproductions.com. Or if you just want to tell other people how much you love the show and that they should listen, uh, you can leave us a five star review. Go and review us wherever you get your podcast from. We really love to see those and read what you think. And we would like to give a huge shout out to our partners and sponsors. First off. Hit Dice. Check them out at hitdicepod.com and on Twitter at hitdicepod. And of course, last but not least, sonerdwear.com, a place to find fun clothing and accessories tailored for tabletop geeks and nerds everywhere. They're also on Twitter at sonerdwear. So you can go to sonerdwear.com and search for Mage Productions to find all of our cool swag. And then once you find everything, you can use code MAGE to get 10% off your entire order.